0: Chapter Three of Raspberry Jam by Caroline Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Stunt Bowing in response to the mighty cheer that greeted his appearance, Hanlon stood smiling at the crowd. A young fellow he seemed to be, slender, well knit and with a frank winning face. But he evidently meant business, for he turned at once to Mr. Mortimer and asked that the test be begun. A few words from one of the staff of the newspaper that was backing the enterprise informed the audience that the day before there had been hidden in a distant part of the city a penknife and that only the hider thereof and the Honourable Mr. Mortimer knew where the hiding-place was. Hanlon would now undertake to go blindfolded to the spot and find the knife, although the distance, as the speaker was willing to disclose, was more than a mile. The blindfolding was to be done by a committee of prominent citizens, and was to be looked after so carefully that there could be no possibility of Hanlon's seeing anything. After that, Hanlon engaged to go to the hiding place and find the knife, on condition that Mr. Mortimer would follow him, and concentrate all his willpower on mentally guiding or rather directing Hanlon's footsteps. The blindfolding which was done in full view of the front ranks of spectators was an elaborate proceeding. A heavy silk handkerchief had been prepared by folding it in eight thicknesses, which were then stitched to prevent clipping this bandage was four inches wide and completely covered the man's eyes but as an additional precaution pads of cotton wool were first placed over his closed eyelids and the bandage then tied over them thus completely blindfolded hanlon spoke earnestly to mr mortimer I must ask of you, sir, that you do your very best to guide me aright. The success of this enterprise depends quite as much on you as on myself. I am merely receptive. You are the acting agent. I strive to keep my mind a blank, that your will may sway it in the right direction. I trust you, and I beg. That you will keep your whole mind on the quest. Think of the hidden article. Keep it in your mind. Look toward it. Follow me. Not too closely. And mentally push me in the way I should go. If I go wrong, Will me back to the right path. But in no case get near enough to touch me and of course do not speak to me this test is entirely that of the influence of your will upon mine call it telepathy thought transference will power anything you choose but grant my request that you devote all your attention to the work in hand if your mind wanders mine will If your mind goes straight to the goal, mine will also be impelled there. With a slight bow, Hanlon stood motionless, ready to start. The preliminaries had taken place on a platform hastily built for the occasion, and now, with Mortimer behind him, Hanlon started down the steps to the street reaching the pavement he stood motionless for a few seconds and then turning walked toward broad street reaching it he turned south and walked along at a fairly rapid gait. at the crossings he paused momentarily sometimes as if uncertain which way to go and again evidently assured of his direction the crowd surged about him now impeding his progress and now almost pushing him along he gave them no heed but made his way here or there as he chose and mortimer followed always a few steps behind but near enough to see that hanlon was in no way interfered with by the throng indeed so anxious were the onlookers that fair play should obtain the ones nearest to the performer served as a cordon of guards to keep his immediate surroundings cleared helen's actions in all respects were those that might be expected from a blindfolded man he groped sometimes with outstretched hands again with arms folded or hands clasped and extended but always with an expression so far as his face could be seen of earnest concentrated endeavour to go the right way now and then he would half turn as if impelled in one direction and then hesitate turn and march off the other way one time indeed he went nearly half a block in a wrong street then he paused groped, stumbled a little and gradually returned to the vicinity of mortimer who had stood still at the corner apparently hanlon had no idea of his detour for he went on in the right direction and mortimer who was oblivious to all but his mission followed interestedly one time hannon spoke to him you are a fine guide sir he said i seem impelled steadily not in sudden thought waves and i find my mind responds well to your will If you will be so good as to keep the crowd away from us a little more carefully, I don't want you any nearer me, but if too many people are between us, It interferes somewhat with the transference of your guiding thought. Do you want to hear my footsteps? Asked Mortimer thoughtfully. That doesn't matter. Hanlon smiled. You are to follow me, sir, even if I go wrong. If I waited to hear you, that would be no test at all. Simply will me, and then follow, whether I am on the right track or not. But keep your mind on the goal, and look toward it, if convenient. Of course, the looking toward it is no help to me save as it serves to fix your mind more firmly on the matter and then handen seemed to go more carefully he stepped slowly feeling with his foot for any curbstone grating or irregularity in the pavement and yet he failed in one instance to feel the edge of an open coal hole and his right leg slipped down into it some of the nearby watchers grabbed him and pulled him back without his sustaining injury for which he thanked them briefly and continued several times some skeptical bystanders put themselves deliberately in front of the blindfolded man to see if he would turn out for them On the contrary, Hanlon pumped into them so innocently that they were nearly thrown down. He smiled good-naturedly and said, All right, fellows, I don't mind if you don't, And I don't blame you for wanting to make sure that I'm not playing possum. Of course, Hanlon carried no light cane, such as blind men use, to tap on the stones, so he helped himself by feeling the way along shop windows and area gates, judging thus when he was nearing a cross street and sometimes hesitating whether to cross or turn the corner. After a half hour of this sort of progress, he found himself in a vacant lot near the edge of the city there had been a building in the middle of the plot of ground but it had been burned down and only a pile of blackened debris marked the place reaching the corner of the streets that bounded the lot hanlon made no pause but started on a straight diagonal toward the center of the lot he stepped into a tangle of charred logs and ashes but forged ahead unhesitatingly though slowly and picked his way by thrusting the toe of his shoe tentatively forward mortimer about three paces behind him followed unheeding the rubbish he stalked through and very evidently absorbed in doing his part to its conclusion. For the knife was hidden in the very centre of the burned down house, a bit of flooring was left on which hanlon climbed, Mortimer getting up on it also. Hanlon walked slowly round in a circle, the floor being several yards square. Mortimer stepped behind him, gravely looking toward the hiding place, and exerting all his mentality toward guiding Hanlon to it. At no time was he nearer than two feet, though once, making a quick turn, Hanlon nearly pumped into him. Finally, Hanlon, poking about in the ashes with his right foot, kicked against something he picked it up and it proved to be only a bit of wire but the next moment he struck something else and stooping brought up triumphantly the hidden penknife which he waved exultantly at the crowd loud and long they cheered him cordially mr mortimer crossed the hands of the hero and it was with some difficulty that ovid Hendricks restrained miss Abby ames from getting out of his car and rushing to congratulate the successful treasure-seeker now she exclaimed no one can ever doubt the fact of telepathy after this how else could that young man have done what he has done Answer me that. It's all a fake, asserted Hendricks. But I am ready to acknowledge I don't know how it's done. It's the best game I ever saw put up, and I like to know how he does it. Seems to me, put in Eunice a little dryly. One oughtn't to insist that it is a fake unless one has some notion, at least, of how it could be done. If the man could see, could even peep, there might be a chance for trickery. But with those thick cotton pads on his eyes, and then covered with that big, thick, folded silk handkerchief, it's really a muffle there's no chance for his faking and if he could see if his eyes were wide open how would he know where to go demanded aunt abby that blindfolding is only so he can't see mr mortimer's face if he turns round and judge from its expression and also i dare say to help him concentrate his mind and not be diverted or distracted by the crowd and all all the same i don't believe in it and hendrix shook his head obstinately there is no such thing as telepathy and this willing business has all been exposed years ago i remember and aunt Abby nodded you mean that bishop man and all that but this affair is quite different you don't believe mr mortimer was a party to deceit do you no i don't mortimer is a judge and a most honest man besides he wouldn't stoop to trickery in a thing of this sort but he has been himself deceived then how was it done? cried Eunice triumphantly. For no one else knew where the knife was hidden, except that newspaper man who hid it. And he was sincere, of course, or there would be no sense in the whole thing. I know that. Yes, the newspaper people were wicked too. Then what happened? Eunice persisted there's no possible explanation but telepathy is there now i don't know of any Hendricks was forced to admit after the excitement blows over a little i'll try to speak with mortimer again i'd like to know his opinion they sat in the car looking at the hilarious crowds of people most of whom seemed impugned with a wild desire to get to the hero of the hour, and demand his secret. There is a man who looks like Tom Meredith," said Eunice suddenly. By the way, Olvid, where do the murders stand in the matter of the club election? Which of them? Either or both. I suppose they are on your side. They never seem to like Sanford much. My dear Eunice, don't be so narrow-minded. Clubmen don't vote one way or another because of personal like or dislike. They consider the good of the club, the welfare of the organization. Well, then, which side do they favor as being for the good of the club? Ask Sanford oh if you don't want to tell me eunice looked provokingly pretty and her piquant face showed a petulant expression as she turned it to hendrix smile on me again and i'll tell you anything you want to know if i know it myself a dazzling smile answered this speech and Hendrix gaze softened as he watched her but you'll have to ask me something else for alas the brothers meredith haven't made a confidant of me storyteller and eunice's dark eyes assumed the look of a roguish little girl you can't fool me of it now tell me and i invite you in to tea when we get home. I am going in anyway. Not unless you tell me what I ask. Why won't you? Is it a secret? Whew. I'd just as leave ask Mr. Tom Meredith myself if I could see him. Never mind, don't tell me, if you don't want to. You're not my only confidential friend. There are others. Who are they, uni I flattered myself I was your only, really, truly intimate friend, not even excepting your husband. Oh, what a naughty speech! If you weren't Sanford's very good friend, had never speak to you again. I don't see how you two men can be friends put in Aunt Abby, when you're both after that same presidency. That's the answer, Eunice laughed, Ovid is Sam's greatest friend, because it's going to be an easy thing for Samford to win the election from him. If there were a more popular candidate in Ovid's place or a less popular one in Samford's place, it wouldn't be such a walk-over you you hendrix looked at eunice in speechless admiration the dancing eyes were impudent the red lips curved scornfully and she made a daring little moo at him as she readjusted her black lace veil so that a heavy bit of its pattern Covered her mouth. What do you do that for? Move that darned flower so I can see you talk. She laughed then and wrinkled her straight little nose until the veil billowed mischievously. I wish you'd take that thing off, Hendrick said irritatedly. It annoys me. And pray, sir who are you that i should shield you from annoyance my veil is a necessary part of my costume necessary nothing take it off i tell you merry christmas and eunice gave him such a scornful shrug of her furred shoulders that hendrix laughed out in sheer enjoyment of her audacity tell me about the Merediths. And I will take off the offending veil, she urged, looking at him very coaxingly. All right, off with it. Slowly and with careful deliberation, Eunice unpinned her veil, took it off, and folded it in a small compact parcel. This she put in her handbag and then, with an adorable smile, said, Now you beautiful idiot, and Hendricks devoured her with his eyes. All I can tell you about the Merediths is that I don't know anything about their stand on the election. What do you guess, assume, surmise, imagine, or predict? She teased, so fascinating him with her magnetic charm. Well? i think this they are a little too old-timey to take up all my projects but on the other hand they are far from willing to subscribe to your husband's views they do not approve of the sunday school atmosphere he wants to bring about nor do they shut their eyes to the fact that the younger element must be considered younger element do you call samford old no he's only twenty-eight this minute but there are a lot of new members even younger than that strange as it may seem these boys want gaiety Yeah, even unto the scorn movies and the hilarious prize fights and as they are signs of the wealthy and aristocratic families of our little old town i think we should consider them and since you insist on knowing it is my firm belief conviction and i'm willing to add my hope that the great and influential meredith brothers agree with me so there now madam sanford embry thank you Ovid. you're clear at least do you think I could persuade them to come over to Sanford's side? I think you could persuade the statue of Jupiter Ammon To climb down from his pedestal And take you to Cooney Island if you looked at him like that. But I also think that friend-husband Will not consent your electioneering for him. It isn't done, my dear Eunice. As if I cared what is done and what isn't if I want to help Sanford. Go ahead then, fair lady, but remember that Sanford Embry stands for the conservative element in our club, and anything you might try to do by virtue of your blandishments or fascinations would be frowned upon and would react against your cause. Instead of Fort, if I might suggest, my supporters, the younger set, the well, the gayer set, would more readily respond to such a plan. Why don't you electioneer for me? Eunice disdained to reply, and Aunt Abby broke into the discussion by exclaiming, "Oh, Ovid!" here comes mr mortimer and he has mr hanlon with him sure enough the two heroes of the day were walking toward the Hendricks car which still standing near the scene of hanlon's triumph awaited a good chance for a getaway i wonder if you ladies wouldn't like to meet this marvel began mr mortimer genially and Aunt Abbe's delight was convincing indeed. Eunice, too, greeted Mr. Hanlon cordially, and Hendricks held out a welcoming hand. "'Tell us how you did it,' he said, smiling into the intelligent face of the mysterious mind-reader. "'You so," He returned." simply with a slight gesture of outturned palms, as if to disvow any secrets. Yes, I saw, said Hendricks, but with me, seeing is not believing. Don't listen, Handen, Mr. Mortimer said, smiling a little resentfully. That sort of talk would go before the test, but not now what do you mean Hendricks, by not believing do you suspect me of complicity i do not mortimer i believe you have been taken in with the rest by a very clever trick he looked sharply at Hanlon, who returned his gaze serenely i believe this young man is unusually apt as a trickster and I believe he hoodwinked the whole community. The fact that I cannot comprehend or even guess how he did it in no way disturbs my conviction that he did do it by trickery. I'll change this opinion however if Mr. Hanlon will look me in the eye and assure me on his honor that he found the pin-knife by no other means or with no other influence to guide him than Mr. Mortimer's will-power. "'I am not on trial,' he said. "'I am not called upon to prove or disprove anything. I promised to perform a feat, and I have done so. It was not nominated in the bond that I should defend my honor, by asseverations. begging the question laughed Hendricks, but mr mortimer said not at all han is right if he has any secret means of guidance it is up to us to discover it but i hold that he cannot have or it would have been discovered by some of the eager observers we had thousands looking on today there must have been someone clever enough to suspect a deceit, if deceit there were. "'Thank you, Mr. Mortimer.' Hanlon spoke quietly. I made no mystery of my performance. I had no confederate, no paraphylenia. All there was to see could be seen by all. You willed me. I followed your will. That is all.' The simple manner and pleasant demeanour of the young man greatly attracted Eunice, who smiled at him kindly. "'I came here very sceptical, she admitted, "'and even now I can't feel entirely convinced.' "'Well, I can,' declared Aunt Abby. "'I am willing to own it, too. These people who really believe in your sincerity mr hanlon and refuse to confess it make me mad i wish you'd give an exhibition in new york i am sorry to disappoint you madam but this is my last performance good gracious why aunt abby looked curiously at him I have good reasons. Hanlon smiled. You may learn them later if you care to. I do. How can I learn them? Read the Newark Free Press next Monday. Oh. And Eunice had inspiration, a premonition of the truth. May I speak to you alone a minute, Mr. Hanlon? She got out of the car and walked a few steps with the young man who politely accompanied her. They paused a short distance away, and held a brief but animated conversation. Eunice laughed gleefully, as it was plain to be seen her charming smiles, played havoc with Hanlon's reserved demeanor. Soon he was willingly agreeing. "'to something she was proposing, "'and finally they shook hands on it. "'They returned to the car. "'He assisted Eunice in, "'and then he told Mr. Mortimer "'they had stayed as long as was permissible "'and were being eagerly called back "'to the committee in charge of the day's programme. "'That's so,' said Mortimer. "'I begged off for a few minutes.' goodbye all he raised his hat and hurried away after hanlon well said hendrix as they started homeward what did you persuade him to do eunice give a parlor exhibition for you the boy guessed nearly right the very first time cried eunice gleefully it was all a fake and he's coming to our house Sunday afternoon to tell how he did it it's all coming out in the paper on Monday my good land and aunt Abby sank back in her seat utterly disgusted End of chapter three